Hey, First Baptist Church, this is Tyler Sulfridge with you again, recording our Sunday School lesson for the week. I appreciate the feedback that I received from last week's lesson and uh, have been in prayer that this week would be just as encouraging and, and just as much of a blessing uh, for you guys as we walk through Ecclesiastes again. We continue our study. Let me review quickly, though, and just recap some of the things that we went over last week, some of these basics of this book. The author of Ecclesiastes, we said last week, is Solomon, and his father, of course, was King David, but by the time we come to this point in Solomon's life, he is actually already the king. He has ascended to the throne. He has been reigning. He's the one ruling over Israel and Jerusalem, he says, and this is a tenure that would span for 40 years. He's probably already at this point, by the time we get to Ecclesiastes, written the book of Song of Solomon when he was a young man probably, most likely penned many of what would make up the book of Proverbs, and now we meet him in Ecclesiastes. Here we can tell just by the tone of, of, of his voice and by the words that he's using that he's now older. He's wiser, he's more experienced, and he's looking back now with nostalgia over the life that he's lived. But it isn't nostalgia only. He has a very specific purpose as he walks his readers and those that would listen to him through this book. His life, of course, is no ordinary life at all. As the king and one of the most powerful men in the known world at that time, his power, his position, his influence and wealth have afforded him opportunities that most couldn't fathom, that even today many of us couldn't fathom. He has lived a full life, we would probably say, but at the same time that we say that, we have to be careful to mention, though, that a long life doesn't guarantee that someone will grow old wisely. We can grow old poorly or even foolishly, and Solomon is writing this to believers that that may not be the case, that we would grow old wisely. And remember what we said, biblical wisdom is acting rightly in accordance with the truth that we know. Truth, the Word of God, we, we know as believers, should move us and should mold us to demonstrate God and His character and his, especially His goodness and His love toward the world. We should act accordingly to all that it says. So in wisdom literature, which Ecclesiastes is, Solomon seeks to divulge wisdom as he has gained it as it pertains to very specific life circumstances. He deals with all sorts of topics as he walks us through the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, he walked us through how we are to wisely work. And this week, if you want to open up your Bible to the third chapter, he will discuss a topic that all of us, we realize he's going to walk us through understanding that we're searching for wisdom and meaningfulness and fulfillment, but ultimately we're searching for contentment and how we find all of these things over the course of time and even in specific life circumstances. So let me read this passage. I'm going to read the first uh, 15 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon wrote, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear 
and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 10 says this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear before him, verse 15, that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. In the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, we are introduced to one of the more common and recognizable phrases of Solomon's letters. He says, vanity of vanities. When he uses that phrase, he's saying that all things under the sun, which is another important phrase, all things done on the earth are a vapor. They're, they're passing away, and even life itself, he's trying to remind us it's going to pass away very quickly. All of us that have lived, we, we know that. We, we kind of blink our eyes, we say, and we're in another life situation or life circumstance. And in the poem that chapter 3 begins with, these first eight verses are a poem when he talks about how quickly all of these seasons are passing away in light of time. He's doing it for a specific purpose. And we're going to ask a question here in just a moment to wrap our minds around that purpose. But so that we understand that this is something that Jesus understood too and he taught his disciples, we see in James chapter 14, uh, James chapter 4 verse 14 says this, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So, even in the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples, they talked about time and how Christians are supposed to live and redeem this time for God's glory. And Solomon is doing the exact same thing. We're trying to wrap our minds around how to live wisely. Now, we've all heard quotes about the importance of time or redeeming time. We've heard people say, time is the only currency. The only thing that can't be purchased is time, so we've been told. And we've even heard the encourager say that time heals all wounds. I know that we've all heard these phrases. In the portion of scripture that we just read, though, Solomon wants us to consider just that. He wants us to consider time and remember what he's doing. He's dispensing wisdom and he's doing it talking about time specifically. Time is one of the most important, most fundamental things which we have to deal with every single day. Our whole lives revolve around time, from what time we wake up to what time we have to leave the house for how much time we can sit in traffic and to make it to work on time, all of those things, and what time we leave work so that we can get to spend quality time with our families. So let's ask this question. As Christians, how can we make the most of the time we are given for the glory of God? And we're going to walk through that in this passage. So let's talk about the passage to find out. In verse 1, Solomon sets the stage for the poem that he's about to write. And it sounds a little ominous too. Listen to the words he says in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the heaven. 
so Solomon writes. And it, it feels like he's about to tell us something about tax season coming up. But as it relates to time, listen how one commentator described the thoughts penned here. He says, Solomon's purpose is to expose the foolishness of a life lived without God in order to push us to enjoy God and his gifts. Satisfaction in God and his gifts is the meaningful life. So we said, as it relates to time, Solomon wants us to wrap our minds around how do we truly enjoy God in light of time and all of those gifts. How do we enjoy those things that God has given us in the time that he's given them, but not make those our idols, which is all too important. So even in this first line, we see that all important phrase in understanding the framework of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, he says, and he understands what we must understand or what some of us need to begin to understand or just to continue to remind ourselves. And it's this, the things that we invest in on earth will surely pass away. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't invest our lives in good things like work so that we can provide for our families. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't invest our lives wisely in good relationships, but Solomon wants us thinking about the intent and the purpose behind all of those things. Why is it that we're investing our lives in all of these different things? Is it for our own pleasure? Is it for our own contentment or our own joy? Because all of those things are fleeting if they aren't spiritual in nature. If they don't cause us to love God more, then they're going to be fleeting. And so that's why last week we quoted Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, Let's look at the life stages that are considered fleeting in Solomon's God-given wisdom. Let me read verses 2 through 4 again. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and even a time to dance. In verse 2, he doesn't say that any of these life stages are inherently good or bad or that they're superior or inferior to any other. These verses clearly do, though, they deal with things beginning and things ending. We need to understand that these things are uh, the, the situations and life circumstances that Solomon is writing about here are things that God brings to life and that God closes or, or causes to cease. So when we walk through this poem, we don't need to overthink or overcomplicate what Solomon's saying. Each line is actually pretty straightforward. He's saying that there's a time in everyone's life when they are born, that there's a time in everyone's life when they experience the birth of a child, or whether it's their own or someone else's, someone that they're related to, and this is a blessing. It's sweet, but we have to understand that in the same way that life begins, we know that life will end. Humanity, we've heard it said, has a 100% mortality rate. All of us are passing away, and we're doing so quickly. But Solomon is saying this, that even as we celebrate and enjoy and, and, and thank God that a life begins, if we live wisely, we can actually do the same in the light and the face of death. As we face death as Christians, we can look forward to it, not with the spirit of anxiety and fear, but with joy and anticipation that we will in fact meet 
our Lord. So now we can read these verses negatively as if Solomon is trying to get everyone down and out or, is, or if he himself is depressed or something. But I take it that he's trying to get those with an earshot or those that would read this letter to consider how fragile and how quickly these life stages go by. Not to drive us to despair, but to see God and how he's loving us and caring for us and redeeming us for his own glory as we pass from life stage to life stage. I was just sitting with some members of the family ministry team the other morning and we were discussing how joyful it is for them as parents and me as a child as we as they watch their children go from babies to toddlers to uh, to moving on into adulthood and I was talking about my experience as a son to my parents and I said that it's been such a blessing that as I've gotten older I'm 28 now so still still relatively young but as I've gone from one life stage to the next my relationship with my parents has changed and it's grown sweeter instead of having to go to my parents as if they're always my authority and and always giving advice and always trying to um, to correct me now it's much more of a relationship like I would have with a friend my, my parents are are sweet and they're living up in Alaska and so it's a joy to get to call them and, and just get to share with them what's going on with my life and and them with me and so it's a joy when we get to watch one life season give way to another we can understand though that even with these life stages giving way to another that it also presents different difficulties and different challenging realities and that's that's the way life is and there's no way to slow it down there's no way to stop it but we have to live in each one of these life stages and again for God's glory and and that's why it's all so important to redeem each life stage whether you're a child and and I work with the student ministry here and we want your children to redeem their middle school years and their high school years and even as they make a, a college decision for the Lord and we want parents to really understand that they are called to be the primary primary spiritual um, mentor and guide for their children and we want grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters to say we're giving this life stage for a time and it's fleeting and it's going to pass by quickly and so let's redeem it for the glory of God. He doesn't just cover life itself, though. He evokes the emotion that comes with these life phases. Look at verse 4 again. He says that there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to celebrate, whether it's uh, the birth of a child or even the birthday of someone who has just turned 100 years old. All of those things are special and they're exciting and, and they're uh, fun and enjoyable. We smile and we laugh until we cry at times as, as all of these uh, children that are born in our church, they grow up into maturity and they're given away in marriage. And those are times of celebration for families. But we also know that in our church congregation alone that those same tears of joy can very quickly turn to tears of sorrow as a loved one passes away and Solomon saying still, life continues on. And the question remains though, and it's the question that we've continued to, to put forth, how do we redeem this for the glory of God? We're not going to answer that just yet. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Let me read them again for you. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, 
a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. These verses, just like the last ones, uh, they continue to deal with comparing and contrasting. But we said in those first couple of verses, those are things that God created and that God causes to cease. Rather than dealing with those things, though, that God is in control of, such as humanity and plants, he deals now with things that humans have the opportunity to bring to life or cause to cease. And it seems pretty easy to think about this, especially in regards to human relationships that we have. My family, we've made two big moves in our lives. One I thought was pretty big when we moved an hour south from Kentucky to Tennessee. The second one, though, I'm convinced was a big move when we moved 4,000 miles from Tennessee to Alaska, and, and that was a big move. But both times, relationships that had been built and um, cultivated over many years, they were inevitably altered, not necessarily because they were unhealthy or, or harmful to my family or to the other person, but because when people are in two totally different places, when they're living two totally different lives and they're experiencing totally different things, then inevitably we end up growing apart. And this isn't necessarily the case all the time, but the majority of the time when someone makes a move, relationships begin to change. Of course, we all have those people that we get to as soon as we go back and we haven't seen them or talked to them in a long time. It's like we picked up right where we left off, and that's a blessing, but that isn't always the case. The, the majority of the time it isn't. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be intentional in building relationships, though. Even though we move or, or someone else may move or relationships change or they alter or they end, someone, Solomon, tells us that, that there is still a time to embrace, that there's still, even knowing that these relationships may end or, or they could change, there's still a time to embrace and love people well. And though it may certainly not be for a lifetime, like the marriage relationship, we are called to cleave to the other person for a lifetime. And this is what Solomon wants us to understand, that even when we have relationships that may not like, last a lifetime, we're still called to embrace, we're still called to love, we're still called to serve, and we're still called to give our whole selves to people around us. And he goes on in verse 6, there's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep up and a time to cast away. I've had many conversations with men in this church that had to make the difficult decision to stop pursuing career advancement via the next promotion for the sake of something else. And most oftentimes, that something else is for their family. They had to stop and they had to ask the question, what is it that's most valuable? Meaning, I, I could continue on this path that I'm on and, and get the next promotion, but that may only last for a little while. But if I get to invest in the spiritual life more of my wife and my children or, or those around me, friends, then isn't that more eternally valuable? So with each life stage, Solomon is demonstrating that there are different priorities and different decision-making processes that we have to go to through. And there are times in life to place a priority on work. And we must remember to keep that in perspective, though, if we're to invest in the eternal rather than the temporal. And I know that if we are pursuing things to, to the detriment of the spiritual health and well-being of our family, then perhaps it's time that we would stop and we would take stock of our lives and we would ask the question again, how do I redeem this time for the glory of God? Our church a few years ago, before I even got here actually, we adopted 
six kind of guidelines that we were going to make decisions through. And the very first one was soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And I think that all of us would say, pastors or staff or uh, Sunday school directors or teachers, we would say, we don't want that to just be a mantra for our church. We want each individual, each individual family even, to adopt that and say that everything that we do as fathers or husbands or employees or employers or um, or wives, we're going to do all of these things for the glory of God. After this poem ends in verses 8 and 9 and verses uh, 9 through 13, he summarizes what it is that he's just been teaching. What gain has the worker for his toil, verse 9 reads. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Here's where Solomon takes all of these different life stages. He takes the circumstances that he talks about. He's already evoked the emotion, and he puts them all into perspective now. Let me read for you this quote real quickly. A commentator wrote this, The point of the poem is the inevitable sameness and monotony of life under the sun. We all go through these actions of birth, life, work, love, and then death. Nothing really changes for humanity. Here today and gone tomorrow, that's just the way it is. End quote. So all of us have experienced or will experience firsthand all of these different things that have been mentioned previously. But he gets to the heart of the matter of what's, what's the purpose of all of this when he turns his attention and writes verse 11. He says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So every single person on earth, there's a desire to know and relate to God. Now, that, that desire is obviously distorted by sin. It's not necessarily a desire to love and to know more deeply the God, the only God that's revealed in Scripture. But there's also an awareness that there's more, more to life than just the physical life that we see here. There's a desire for fulfillment. There's a hope for meaningfulness and purpose. And if we spend and fill our time seeking those things that we think will bring us momentary happiness or joy or contentment, we will ultimately be let down. This is Solomon's point. So even though Solomon's tone is somewhat subdued through the lines of this poem, it's clear what he's trying to do. He wants people to consider how they might be eternally satisfied, how they might be eternally content, and how they may have their deepest longings filled. And he begins this poem by talking about humanity and the seasons of life that we must endure and, and all that we seek to accomplish. But at the end, in verses 14 and 15, he shifts our gaze from ourselves and he sets our gaze on God himself. Let me read those verses for you one more time as we begin to close. Verse 14 says this, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. 
So when we're finished, we can go back and read verses 1 through 8 again. But as soon as you finish verse 8, I want you to read that and then skip to verse 14 and read. And Solomon writes this, Whatever God does endures forever. We've seen this picture of humanity and everything that we do is passing away and it's doing so quickly. And now he starts to talk about God and he says, what God does, it endures forever. One of the things that I've tried to do over the last year, especially during COVID and all the challenges that are presented and and that come along with that and in that season is to remind myself of the attributes of God, especially to remind myself of those attributes when I pray. And we see clearly here that God is eternal and in all of his ways, he is unchanging. What God plans to accomplish, he will. Man cannot thwart God's plans. Even Satan tried at the very beginning of time and he was cast out and he was forever defeated all the way back in Genesis. And if you've read through the entire book of Ecclesiastes while preparing or getting your heart ready to hear this teaching and as we've walked through this book as a as a church, that we see that these two verses, they tease out this hope that Solomon will ultimately end the reader with. All of these seasons, all of these trials and sorrows and joys, all of work and life and even death are meant to cause us and well up within us a longing that can only be satisfied in God. So, Church, let's go back then to the question that we asked at the very beginning and try to answer it. As Christians, how can we make the most of the time that we are given for the glory of God? Take all of these seasons into consideration, birth and life and death. Take work and college and preparing to work. Take gained and broken relationship. Take time itself and consider them in light of eternity. I think that's where we begin. If we say, I'm going to redeem my life and every stage of life that the Lord gives me, I'm going to redeem it for His glory. We have to begin to place it in light of eternity. And we can see that everything around us has fallen and it is completely marred by sin. But as I was preparing for this, even just this morning, as I was wrapping up my preparation for this lesson, I was reminded of this song called, Is He Worthy? And we sang it a lot, actually, as a church during COVID, and I think it was certainly appropriate to sing in that time, especially a time of such uncertainty. But listen to a couple lines of this song as I read. We sang this, Do you feel the world is broken? And the obvious response, and we sang it, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see all things made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? And of course, the answer is, it is. But this song asks one more question, and it's this. Does our God intend to dwell with us again? And of course, the answer is, He does. God intends to dwell with you, believer, for all of eternity in heaven, unhindered from sin, unhindered from sorrow, unhindered from the the cloud and, and the darkness of death hanging over us where death has lost its sting. All of that is is going to be culminated in heaven with the glory of God. And so how do we redeem our whole lives for the glory of God? I would urge you a couple of things. One, invest in the eternal. 
Consider ways that you can spur on someone spiritually, whether it's investing your uh, life here at the church and then serving in uh, some discipleship ministries that we have, whether it's taking time out of your uh, schedule to come to church on a Wednesday night and do equip or on a Sunday afternoon and do Route 56 or getting involved in the children's ministry or using some of your gifts to um, enhance and provide our church with more workers for worship ministry. All of these things we can do for the glory of God and it will spur our church on. So invest in the eternal. And then number two is just take stock of how you're using your time. I know that it's so easy to go home and uh, watch TV or, or spend a day watching sports or the Olympics are on right now. All of those things and they're good and they're enjoyable. But I think as believers, we're called to stop and to take stock of our lives that we may redeem every stage of life, ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given it to us, that it is ultimately truth, Father, that it is wise counsel. And Lord, you've given it to us because you love us and you want us to seek you and, and seek your glory and seek to be in closer and deeper relationship with you. And so, Father, as we walk through this passage together and as we have listened, I just ask, Lord, that you would take Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that you would take this entire study and that you would just convict and move our hearts, Lord, that we might redeem every stage of life, every relationship that we have, every job that you give us, every um, everything, Lord, every day for your glory, that we wouldn't seek our own ambitions and our own desires, but, Lord, we would come to the end of ourselves so that we might live ultimately for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.